bounce back ability and Abraham. What Crystal Palace football team and Abraham have in common. Mm, yeah, that's what we're talking about today. The, the commonality between Abraham and Crystal Palace football team. What on earth are we talking about? Well, I'll explain. I'm Malcolm Cox, and this is class three of the current series we're doing on having an adventure of faith with Abraham, letting Abraham be our inspiration. And today we're going to talk about bounce back ability. Here's a little pop quiz for you. Who first is recorded as having coined the term bounce back ability? Do you know? Well, I remember the first time it was used, it was, at least that I'm aware of, it was Ian Dowie. Ian Dowie was the manager of the Crystal Palace football team back in the 2003-2004 season. And at one point around Christmas, they were bottom or very near the bottom of the table in the, uh, the championship. And then they actually got to promotion and got promoted through the playoffs um, towards the end of that season, which was an astonishing thing. And when asked about how he managed it, he said, well, we in this team, we have bounce back ability. Referring to the ability to bounce back from frustrations, from failure, from the things that haven't been going so well. And I think we see Abraham among perhaps more than almost any character in the Bible that we know of. Um, he had that sense of bounce back ability. How did, I mean, think about it. How did Abraham get from the beginning of chapter 12 and those amazing promises all the way through to, well, if you like, his um, his place in the pantheon of faith, the uh, faith heroes in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Let me read for us a, part, a section from Hebrews 11, which is verses 8 to 19. I'm going to read in the uh, NASB version. It says, by faith, Abraham when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born, even of one man, and him as good as dead, that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was, was said and said, said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which from which he also received him back as a type. Now, this passage in Hebrews is a wonderful summary of the faith life of Abraham. And, and so many reasons are given there as to why he's admirable in the faith. But if you've read Genesis 12, 13, 14, all the way through to chapter 25, when he departs the scene, if you've read those chapters and even already in those sermons we've, we've looked at in this series and other lessons, <laughs> You and I know that these are the these are the highlights. Hebrews are definitely the highlights. There were low lights in between the highlights. There were tough times between those amazing experiences of faith. Those those moments when he was close to God, heard the voice of God, saw God do astonishing things way beyond his imagination. Now, I'm not going to blame the writer of Hebrews. He's writing a summary of the high, high, high points for a reason, and that's totally fine. But we also need to look at the totality of his life. 
Because in looking at the totality of Abraham's life, we see the ways in which we can live out our faith, not only when things are good or when our prayers are being answered, but at the times when it's tough to have faith. It's tough to hold on. And you and I, if you've been a Christian a while, you know those times. Maybe you're even going through one of those times right now. And so I really hope and pray that what we look at today will help you and I hold on. You see, an adventure of faith, which is what we're on, is not possible without setbacks. In fact, you have to say that life is not possible without setbacks. And even I'd say true faith, the genuineness of faith, that really deep, genuine faith, it's not really possible to have that, is it, without setbacks? And how how we respond to the setbacks in the Christian life tells us a lot about the health of our spirituality And it also tells us, or perhaps rather reveals to us, opportunities for God to help us to grow in our faith. Setbacks might be exactly what you and I need to be able to grow into all that we can be in Christ. Through our setbacks, we better understand who we are. And we also better understand God. And we see that in Abraham. True faith is only really faith because of coming through setbacks including not just the challenges of this world but our own sins and mistakes so today we're going to have a quick look at some highs and lows in abraham's life how he handled it what he learned and then i'll leave it up to you to discuss and figure out what that means for you as you think about that personally and perhaps in your family groups as we go uh, into those so first mistake mistake number one mistake number one is genesis 12 i want to talk about this in so much detail today because i preached on it Uh, earlier on in January and you can go back to that lesson if you like but just to uh, make the point clear in Genesis 12 we begin on a high don't we we begin on a high because the Lord speaks to Abraham and he tells him go from your country and your household go to the place I'll show you I'll make you into a great nation I'll bless you make your name great you will be a blessing bless those who bless you whoever curses you I will curse all peoples on earth will be blessed through you Abraham phenomenal blessings and indeed he's obedient and he travels through the land and and he worships wonderful but what happens at the end of that chapter i think you know there's a famine and he goes down to egypt and he tells pharaoh uh you see this woman with me uh she's my sister when actually of course she's his wife and Sarah goes along with this, and indeed that's that's what, what happens. And, and the Lord inflicts serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household, and Pharaoh figures out what's going on and says, Oi, Abraham, this ain't your sister. This is your wife. Take her and clear off. And, uh, and so Abraham must go away from this experience with his tail between his legs. It would be bad enough even if this was the only thing that had happened. But the fact that he's heard from God and been given these amazing promises must make it much worse. He's let God down. He's let himself down. He's let his wife down. He's let his family down. He seems to have let down the God who's got great purposes for him. So what do we see here? We see that he tries to take control of a situation that he shouldn't have. He fails to trust God. God does not tell him to go to Egypt. Fear clouds his judgment about the famine. Didn't God say, whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Isn't he saying, I'll take care of you? Self-preservation is Abraham's goal. 
a lot of the trouble I've got into in my life is because self-preservation is my goal or I've given into fear, which has clouded my judgment and has been a causational factor in me making foolish and unhealthy decisions. Perhaps you can relate. That's his mistake. But what about his bounce back? Bounce number one. What's bounce number one? Immediately after this, in chapter 13, he goes back to the Negev. He goes back to the place where he was before. He goes from place to place, chapter 13, verse 3, until he comes to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, uh, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So what do we see Abraham doing? He may be discouraged, he may be disappointed in himself, but he doesn't wallow in self-pity. Instead, he says, you know what? I need to go back to where I've heard from God before, where I've worshipped before. I'm going to go back to where I belong. That's what I need to do. So he goes back to worship. He goes back to his relationship with God. And as a result of that, later on in chapter 13, he handles the dispute with Lot really well. He doesn't see it serve to preserve his own interest. He doesn't try and control. He surrenders control of the decision-making that Lot has and he has. And in chapter 14, when Lot is captured, he goes after him and rescues him along with other people and possessions. He's a courageous man here looking for the interests of Lot and other people ahead of his own. No self-preservation here. He's willing to give up his own safety and his own comfort and convenience for the sake of others. So we see him embracing surrender. We see him embracing uh, courage for the sake of other people. He made a big mistake in chapter 12, but he bounced back by going back to God even perhaps with his feelings of regret and guilt. That's a good lesson for you and me. If we're going to have resilient faith, that's one thing we need to do. When we fail and when we're in sin and we're filled with guilt and regret, we go back to God. That's mistake number one. What about mistake number two? Mistake number two comes in Genesis 16 and the situation with Hagar. So they're still childless. And even though he's been promised a son, where's that son coming from? The promise doesn't seem to be necessarily through Sarai at this point. And so she says, his wife Sarai says to him, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, probably more like a maid, but go and sleep with her. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abraham agrees and he takes Uh, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And there are major, major problems with this. So what is Abraham doing here? He's taking matters literally into his own hands. Yes, it's at the prompting of Sarai. And that's also a problem because what we're seeing here is a recapitulation of what happens in Genesis. In Genesis 3, the way that uh, Eve persuades Adam to eat the fruit. Now it's it's still Adam's fault. It's not not that uh, it's not his fault, but we're seeing the same kind of pattern being repeated here. Some sense of impatience, you might say. I want that. It's a what's classically called a lust of the flesh. I want that fruit. I'm going to have that fruit. I want a child. I'm going to get a child somehow, even if it means my husband sleeping with uh, my maidservant and uh, she becoming his wife as well. So now there are two of us. I'm going to figure it out. And Abraham goes along with this crazy plan. And and there's a lot of challenges that come from this giving in to uh, fleshly lusts and to impatience. God has said he will do it. And they're taking, they're taking control of the timing 
of the answering of when this is going to happen. Major problems in the marriage, major problems with Hagar, major problems between the two sons, Isaac and, uh, and Ishmael, ultimately. Major problems for the whole of humankind in some ways, certainly for the Israelites, because the offspring of Ishmael become the, the, the nations which trouble Israel so much during its history. And you could say even that whole region of the world is still troubled today to some extent by what happened here all the way back in Genesis 16. Sometimes the consequences of our mistakes and sins are, are not only dire at the time, but they have disastrous consequences for generations and generations to come. That's a heavy burden to carry, isn't it? When you make a mistake like that, how do we handle that? What did Abraham do after realizing this mistake he made? Well, if we go to have a look at the end of chapter 16, we see that uh, she, he, she, Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. Uh, he gives, Abraham gives him the name. He's 86 years old. And chapter 17, then a number of years later, when he's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make a covenant with you between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham falls face down. So what we can tell from this, at least to begin with, is Abraham has not lost his connection with God. He falls down humbly. He's, it's a number of years later. God gives him some more promises and then tells him, now you need to get circumcised. You, all the males in your household, everybody needs to get circumcised and you're going to get all the promises I've, I promised you. And he expands on them in chapter 17. We haven't got time to look at it here. And that's what Abraham does immediately. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, all those born in his household, verse 23, or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God had, as God told him. He was 99, Ishmael was 13, both circumcised on the same day, all of them. There's a repetition of what's going on here to emphasize the significance of the circumcision, the significance of the covenant, but also Abraham's willing, in fact, eager obedience. So we see that Abraham hasn't lost his connection with God. He now demonstrates obedience and indeed some patience because it's been a number of years since Ishmael was born and he's promised now that, you, that he will have a son. Sarai, in fact herself, will give birth to a son in verse 16. I'll bless her as well as you. And even though it seems ridiculous, God says, yes, your wife Isaac will bear a son. You will call him Isaac. I'll make a covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. And I'm going to look after Ishmael as well. Don't worry about that. And Abraham believes it. Abraham takes it on board. He is obedient. <laughs> He's obedient in this situation to a what you might call a higher calling of commitment. In chapter 15, when he makes the first covenant or the first section of that covenant, if you like, uh, he cuts up some animals and that's basically all he has to do, shoo a few birds off them. Here, he's got to do more than shoo a few birds off. He's got to cut off his own flesh in a rather sensitive area and that of all the men in his household, at least arrange for someone to do that. And uh, that, that's, that's a higher level of commitment to a covenant, I reckon. So he's, he's willing to take his commitment higher. He's willing to do something which is far more costly, you could say, than just arranging a few animals and, uh, and, try, and, uh, and shooing off a few birds. The timing of the promise is now more specific in verse 21. Uh, by this time next year, you're going to have this son. Then God goes up from him. So he bounces back. 
He's now willing to be more patient. He's willing to stay connected with God. He's willing to take his devotion to God higher. He's willing to be um, urgently obedient, eagerly obedient uh, in an area of difficulty and challenge, one could say. That is our second mistake and our second bounce. Now, just before going on to the third and final mistake, we'll take a brief interlude looking at chapters 18 and 19. Again, we don't have time to go into all the detail, but you may know. This is the section where Abraham has the most amazing quiet time with God ever, and then Sodom is destroyed. So what's going on in chapter 18 was a lot of things, but one of the key things to point out here is that Abraham pleads for Sodom. God says, I'm going to destroy it. Abraham says, surely not if there were 50 righteous people. And God says, oh, okay, if there aren't, if there's 50, okay. And Abraham thinks, hang on, okay, 40. God says, yeah, yeah, for 40, 30, 20. He goes all the way down to 10. And the Lord says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Fantastic. I guess Abraham thinks, job done. This has been the most fantastic quiet time. Thank you, God. Uh, You're going to answer my prayer. You won't be destroying Sodom. And what happens? (laughs) What happens? Sodom is utterly destroyed. Can you imagine how Abraham felt when he realized that his prayer, his request, had not been answered? He saw it. Chapter 19, verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So that's this place where they'd had this great quiet time, you could say. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And what did he see? He saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. How does it feel when your prayers aren't answered? Or they're not answered in the way that you expect? Abraham could have been having a lot of feelings right now. He could have been angry with God. God, I prayed for 10. Surely there were 10. Were you you kidding me, God? Were you duping me? Were you playing with me? Or perhaps he felt like, I stopped at 10. Why did I stop at 10? I should have gone down to five or even down to one. And then maybe, maybe Sodom wouldn't have been destroyed. It's my fault. He, He might have felt that. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. Maybe maybe he might have thought, I, I clearly don't understand the mind of God. Me and God were so different. We're so, I mean, I don't understand him. I don't know him properly. There's all kinds of things he might have been feeling. And, and I think this is really important because you and I, I don't, well, maybe you, but certainly I, I, I kept from time to time feel like I've missed God's purpose here. I, my prayers aren't in line with God's. Uh, his timing isn't what I've prayed for. He hasn't answered my prayers. Some of our challenges to our faith, some of those challenges to our faith are not our own sins, but they're disappointments. Disappointments regarding our hopes from God, our unanswered prayers that we thought God might might answer. Uh, Abraham, in a sense, fails to rescue Sodom. Now, I don't think he does ultimately, but he could have felt that. How did he feel? How do you feel when God does not answer your prayers in the way that you wanted. It doesn't mean God still, it doesn't mean even if you've misread God's intentions, it doesn't mean that God does not care for you. The next verse in verse 29 says, So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. 
God remembered Abraham. Because remembered, it doesn't mean just, oh, I forgot about him. Now I remember him. It's not that kind of remembering. It's Abraham's special to me. We have a covenant. I haven't forgotten him. And that's true for you and me. We have a covenant because of what Jesus has done and our immersion into Christ and our possession of the Spirit. There is a bond between us and God. He will never forget you. You are still special to him, even if you're disappointed. Right, we're now ready for his third and final mistake. And you know what? It's one he made earlier, isn't it? If you know chapter 20 of Genesis, you'll know that uh, he comes into contact with Abimelech. And Abimelech is a king. And how does Abraham feel about Abimelech? He is afraid. He's afraid of this king. And he does the same thing he did in chapter 12 when he says to the king, to King, Abim, uh, king of Abimelech of Gerar, he says, Sarah is my sister. Ah, uh, isn't this the worst thing when you and I repeat a mistake, repeat a sin that we've done before, that had terrible consequences, and we're fully aware of them, and we did, uh, we did repent, we did say never again, and we've lived a life differently for a number of years, this is quite a long time later, and still, five years, ten years, twenty years later, we repeat the same sin, we repeat the same mistake, and there are similar consequences. Aren't you about to smack yourself on the forehead and 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 just get really annoyed at yourself and annoyed at God or anybody else around you and perhaps sink into a self-piteous state or think that's it that's it I'm out of here I can't do this faith thing anymore I can't do this church stuff anymore I can't do this God thing anymore I'm clearly not good enough I'm clearly you know I'm just a, a spiritual mistake around here and maybe Abraham felt that. It was terrible what happened. There's, again, there's um, a closing up of the wombs of Abimelech's household. And Abimelech gets a dream and is told what's going on and, uh, and, and calls Abraham to account, of course. It seems that God is speaking to Abimelech and not Abraham at this point. Not, no surprise, I suppose. And, and he sends him off. Uh, I mean, Abraham has his rationale. I was afraid, I, you know, they will kill me because of my wife, verse 11. And, oh, she really is my sister, kind of a half-sister. It's not the point, is it? And it's not going to be very persuasive to, uh, to Sarah as the reason why he did what he did. It's, it's great that God heals Abimelech uh, at the end of this, um, but it's because of Abimelech's righteousness, not Abraham's. What's Abraham doing? He's giving in to fear again. He's also forgetting. He forget, he's giving into fear and forgetting God's promises. Do you remember what God said back in Genesis 12? What did he say to Abraham? He said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And what that effectively means is, right, if, if King Abimelech tries to kill you, tries to do harm to you, I'm going to deal with it. I'm on your side. I will take care of it. You don't have to worry. And Abraham forgot that. Here's the thing that I know about myself, maybe you too. There are so many wonderful promises in here. They're all true, but I forget them. And I particularly forget them when I get triggered into fear and the attempts at self-preservation and giving into the, the flesh in me. Those things that seem so attractive and, and end up being so appalling in their consequences. 
This is Abraham. Mistake number three. What is his bounce? He has a bounce, though. Good old Abraham. Always has a bounce. He has a bounce because he prays. In verse 17 of that chapter, Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Abraham prays. God uses Abraham's prayers to fix the problem that was that was caused by Abraham's sin. Now, if that isn't a declaration of trust, of God saying, "I'm still, I'm still with you, Abraham. You messed up again, but I am. St- I've still purposes for you." And I believe in you. I love you. Let's work at this together. Why don't you pray for Abimelech? And Abraham, I guess, is like, yeah, okay, I shall do that. He prays. He goes to God for help with the consequences of his own sin. This is the right way to respond. When you and I get into sin, the right response is to go back to God for the help to strengthen us to deal with the consequences of our sin. And what comes immediately after this? Immediately after this, Isaac is born. The son of the promise. After all these years, the son of the promise is born in chapter 21. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. She became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. God isn't done with Abraham yet. He's made mistake number one, mistake number two, had disappointments in prayer, mistake number three, probably a few others that aren't even recorded in here. God is still with him, not done with him yet. A miracle of grace occurs. How will God's grace be evident in this world unless we experience it ourselves in our Christian lives? that's the good side of, there's no good side of sin, but the good side of what can come out of it is evidence of God's grace. Keeps us grateful and shows the world that God is a God of grace. It's amazing, really. It's amazing how Abraham bounces back time and time and time again. He doesn't lose his bounce. In some ways, of course, what's happening here is illustrative of the later history of Israel. And they bounced around a bit over the years, up and down. But one of the sad things about Israel that's different, from the, if you like, from the, for the, between the end of Abraham's life and the end of Israel, as we know it, in terms of the final exile, one of the differences is a, the exile did not result in God's shalom, God's peace. But Abraham's life did end with God's shalom. In chapter 25 and verse 8, it says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. He breathed his last, died an old man, satisfied with life, gathered to his people. That's chapter 25 and verse 8. What a lovely what a lovely description, of, if, if you like, of how to go. He died in peace with God. He had, a, he had that shalom of God. And I put a, an article about that, a link to that in the show notes. 
How did God, how did Abraham die in peace, satisfied with life? How did he do that? It wasn't by being mistake free. It wasn't by being sin free. It wasn't because all of his hopes and dreams were realized. It wasn't because, you know, if we're going to die with the shalom of God, it's not going to be because everything we asked for has come about. It's not going to be because, say, finally a church was established in our hometown. Finally, all our children became Christians. Finally, all our relatives, our parents or whoever became Christians. It won't necessarily be because of that. It won't be because we've we've been sin-free. There will be sin in your life and mind. There will be drifting from God. There will be regrets. But we can bounce back. What do you want to bounce back from at the moment? Is there something for you to bounce back from now? How's it been for you at the time of recording during this lockdown and some of the lockdowns we've had over the last few months? Have you been overeating? Have you been overdrinking? Have you been overspending? Have you been overindulging in Netflix and such like? Have you been neglecting your times with God in prayer and reading reading his word? Have you been um, have you been demonstrating excessive anger towards your spouse, your children, your housemates? Do you want the shalom back? Do you want the shalom instead of the overeating and the overspending? Do you want the shalom back instead of the anger and the frustration and the fits of rage? To get the shalom back, it's not going to be enough just to say, I'll just keep going to church. I'll just keep being around. If we're going to bounce back, we've got to take deliberate action to go back to God, deciding again and again to return to God. We will find him to be willing to accept us if we go back to him. We get the shalom by repenting. Repentance brings times of, what is it, Acts 3.19? It brings times of refreshing. Refreshing. Abraham bounced back because he kept going back to God. You and I will bounce back by going back to God again and again. Bounce by bounce by bounce. What an amazing man. What an amazing person Abraham is. How can we develop bounce-backable faith and die in the shalom of God? We go back to the old ways with God. We create opportunities for God to speak and to heal. And we meditate on the promises of God. Perhaps you might like to make your own list. We have the spirit, the spirit of Abraham and the spirit of bounce backability, maybe. Spirit of Ian Dowie and Crystal Palace football team. Not sure about that, but certainly the spirit that means that we're never done. We're never finished. We can bounce back. I hope and pray that what I talked about today and what we see in the life of Abraham will inspire you to never stop bouncing back, no matter what mistakes you make, no matter what mis- disappointments you have with God, that you will decide and you'll help me when I go through times like that to remember that I can and must, with God's help, God's strength, God's inspiration, like Abraham, bounce back. Take care and God bless you.